Good morning. I too would like to welcome you to our services today. We are really glad you're here and we're especially glad to have you if you're a visitor. Hope you'll spend a little time with us after services so we can get to know you a little bit better. Every year about this time we uh, talk about the birth of our Lord and Savior. We well, I'm assuming most of us know, maybe some of the younger ones don't realize or know, Jesus was not born on December 25th. You know, we're not given the exact date of his birth, but we can surmise from the events that are going on around that time of year, which we'll be looking at today, that his birth actually occurred in late spring or early summer. But man has chosen to use December 25th as the day that virtually the entire world stops and recognizes the birth of the Son of God. Thank the Lord for that opportunity. Amen. And we are blessed to be able to do that without fear in this country and quite frankly, do it in most countries around the world so that's a blessing you know this is part of God's plan that he put into effect before the foundation before he even created the earth he had determined that he would send his son and that he would die to save us from our sins what we'll be looking at today is the birth So if you would, please turn with me to Luke. We're going to begin in the first chapter with the first verse of Luke. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. That's a pretty dramatic statement that Luke's making here. He says that he has perfect understanding. The only way that's possible is for the Holy Spirit to have delivered that understanding to him. So you can be assured that what Luke's writing here is accurate. From the very first to write unto thee in order, it's another very significant statement. What Luke's putting down here is the order in which it occurred. It's not mixed up, it's not jumbled. So we can trust the order of things that happened around the birth of Christ, which we're looking at today. Most excellent Theopolis. Now, Theopolis is who this letter is addressed to. But look at verse 4. If thou mightest know the certainty of those things, wherein thou hast been instructed. That statement is just as relevant for us today as it was 2,000 years ago when he wrote it to Theopolis. Verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. 
Oh, sorry about that. I didn't mean to uh, blind everybody with the light up there. Anyway, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abba, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Zacharias is a priest. We're not going to look at the duties of the priest, but we'll kind of address them in an abbreviated manner later on. But look at verse 5, or I guess maybe it's verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Wouldn't it be a blessing to have lived a life where the Lord would recognize you as righteous and living in the ordinances and commandments of God, blameless? I don't think that happened with very many people. I know it certainly cannot apply to me. Verse 7, and they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. These are old folks. They have passed, long past, the age in which childbirth was going to be possible for them. And it came to pass while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, at that time... In Jerusalem, the priest took turns doing those things that God had instructed the priest to do inside the temple. It's now Zacharias' time. I'm sure it's a job he's done many times before. He's probably been in there and executed these duties blameless for many, many years. And he's there again today. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. I'm sure it did. Zacharias knew that nobody can be in that place in the temple except the priest doing the duties that God has set forth. They have temple guards posted at the entrance to guarantee that nobody enters that place except the priests that are assigned to do those duties. And yet here before him stood a man, an angel of the Lord, and Zacharias is troubled. I don't know what all was going through his mind. You can't imagine. Maybe he's thinking that I've done something like Nahab and Abihu did years ago, and my time is now over. Maybe he's thinking that God is fixing to call him home. I, I can't imagine what would be going through his mind, but he's troubled and he's fearful. Verse 13, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. How long do you think it's been since Zacharias prayed for a son? I'm sure the first 10, 20, 30, maybe 40 years he and Elizabeth were married, that prayer was on his lips daily, probably multiple times a day. And Elizabeth's too. As they desired 
to have a son born to their family and it never happened. But now he's an old man. His wife's old. How old, we really don't know, but well-stricken in years would kind of indicate they're probably way past 60, maybe way past 70. You know, it's pointed to a man three score years and by reason of strength, four score maybe. I mean, he could live to be 80. I don't know how old he is. But he's old, and I don't think he's prayed for a son now probably in 20, 30 years because Elizabeth was incapable of conceiving. But yet, this angel is standing there and telling him, thy prayer is heard. Remember that. The thing that we pray for and earnestly petition God for doesn't mean God's not hearing us because he's not answering our prayer. Maybe the time's not right. God moves at his own timetable and his own schedule. And now it's time for Zacharias and Elizabeth to bear a son. Even though they are old, well past the point of time of bearing children, the time has come. What's Zacharias' response to that? Verse 18, and Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know that I don't believe this? You can't do this. Give me a sign. If this is really going to happen, I need a sign. I need some evidence, some proof that what you're telling me is true. For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. The angel of the Lord, Gabriel, is not real impressed with his answer, is he? You know, Gabriel has been before God's people and prophets for centuries. He visited Daniel multiple times and talked to him. I don't think there's another place where God's servant is visited by Gabriel and he just tells him flat out, I just don't believe you. You're going to have to give me a sign if it's the truth. And Gabriel reacted to that. And this gives us a little insight into God's personality, doesn't it? Look at verse 20. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. You want a sign? Here's your sign. And not able to speak until the day these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Yeah, the Lord gave him a sign, didn't he? He sealed his mouth. He's not going to be able to tell a soul about what's happening there. He's not going to be able to come out and say, we're having a, cat, a son, just give us that. None of that's going to happen. Because he can't speak. He can't say anything. That's his sign. Now, I don't know, I just view that as God's, here's your sign. Now you can't tell anybody. And that's kind of funny if you really think about it. Uh, you know, God's got the same personality that we have. All these emotions he's given us of joy and peace and love and kindness, understanding, anger, wrath, all these emotions God gave us because they're his. And he made us in his image. We've got all of them. Here you see a reflection of God's humor. So he's struck Zacharias 
and made him a dumb mute. And he will remain so until John is born. Verse 24, and after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months. Why do you suppose she did that? Because Zacharias can't tell anybody what happened. And who's going to believe a 60, 70, 80-year-old woman's having a baby? I mean, come on. Nobody's going to accept that. So she's hiding out. She's not wanting anybody to know this is happening because maybe if she tells somebody, it won't happen. She knows it's happening. But this is so far out of the norm that she doesn't want anybody to realize what's going on. Verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. Think about Mary for a minute here. She's a spouse to Joseph, which means they are, we might call it an engagement, although the way the uh, Hebrews, the Jews worked this, it was really more than an engagement. She was committed to Joseph. They were inseparable. They did not consummate their union until the marriage ceremony would take place. And this period of time lasted for a year. So she's in this period of time where she's espoused to Joseph. They have not consummated their union. They've not officially married. That's going to take place. We don't know how much further along that was going to happen. But it's in the future. And now Gabriel's talking to her. Verse 29, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind, what manner of salutation is this? I can imagine she did. And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Mary's probably 12 to 15 years old. We've got some young ladies here that are that age. I'm sure some of you can remember back to when you were also that age. Now, Gabriel's standing there telling her that she's going to have a son, and she's going to call his name Jesus. That's a lot for a young lady to wrap her mind around, I'm sure. And it's all happening right here very quickly. You know, it's been 400 years since one of God's prophets actually walked among the people of Israel and shared God's message with them. 400 years. Can you imagine that? I mean, look at our country. You go back 400 years and you're in what, the 16, 1700s? Our nation's just being formed. There's no indoor plumbing. We're traveling around in horses. We're fighting with muskets to try to secure our liberty from 
Britain. Just think of what our country has gone through in 400 years and where we are today. Just look at the previous 400 years of Israel's history and all the things that have happened. That's how long it's been since the prophet of God has walked among the people. And yet here, this day, at this time, God has chosen to bring forth his son to save all of us from our sins. Verse 32, he shall be great and called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Praise God for that delivery, for that message, and for this child. He goes on to tell her in verse 36, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Now, Gabriel's loaded up Mary with a lot of information here that's going to change her life. And she knows that. There's a lot of things I'm sure going through her mind She's got a lot of things to sort out, but what's her response? Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. She didn't ask for a sign, did she? She did not believe. She believed what Gabriel told her. And her response was, Okay. Whatever you say, that's fine with me. I'm the handmaid of the Lord. I'm here to serve God. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm going to do. Verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and Elizabeth. I suspect she did. She had a lot of things to sort out, didn't she? Not the least of which is that she's a spouse to Joseph, and now she's pregnant. She's probably wondering how she's going to tell him that news and what his response is going to be when he hears it. And then she's got all her family to consider. She's got a lot of things going on in her mind, and the only person on the face of the earth that's going to understand all of this up in Judah with Zacharias and Elizabeth because they've experienced some of the same things. And Mary entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. It kind of puts the carbosh on this idea that 
Babies in the womb are people, doesn't they? John knew he was there. He leaped for joy. Because he could hear that same salutation Mary gave to Elizabeth. And she spake out with a loud voice. This is Elizabeth speaking now. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And hence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped with joy. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And Mary abode with her for about three months and returned to her own home. So Mary stayed there until the time came for John to be delivered. And then she went home. By that time, I'm sure she had concluded what she was going to say and how she was going to address Joseph and her family and all those that know her in Nazareth. I mean, you're talking about a collection of people there where probably everybody in town knew who Mary was. They probably all knew Joseph. They know that she left with haste to go spend time with her cousin Elizabeth who is very old and Zacharias, her husband, who's very old. I mean, they have almost nothing in common. You've got a girl going to spend time with her cousins that are at the end of their life and she's been gone three months and now she's coming back. Let's go to Matthew 1, verse 19. As she explains what's happened, of course, it's probably pretty obvious to Joseph and her family. I mean, she's three months pregnant at this point. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Joseph loved Mary. He obviously didn't believe the story she told him. I'm sure her family wasn't buying into that either. You're telling us your baby is conceived by the Holy Ghost? Is that what you're telling me? You really expect me to believe that? I mean, you can imagine the conversations that are taking place. The law of the day says that if a young lady finds herself in this condition where she is now pregnant, not by her husband, she's to be taken out into the city square and stoned to death. That's what's supposed to happen at this point. Joseph loved her, and he decided he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to make her a public example. He was just going to go ahead and accept it and put her away privately, which in that culture meant that in his family compound, they would construct a small 
house or apartment or whatever, and that's where she would be destined to live out her days for however long she lives. That's his idea. But verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And now he knows. The story Mary's told him is true. The angel of the Lord has now appeared to him and told him it was true and told him not to be afraid. Verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, this is the prophet of Elijah in 7 and 14, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That's been foretold for over a thousand years all the way back to the beginning of time. God announced this would happen in Genesis. And now it's come to pass. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Back to Luke 1 and 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy on her, and they rejoiced with her. Now everybody knows because the baby John is here. You can't hide that anymore. And now they're all rejoicing. They're all happy. John's here. And it came to pass, this is verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There's none of thy kindred that are called by this name. What are you thinking? You've waited your whole life for a son. Now you've got one. The Lord's been gracious and merciful to you and given you that son. And now you're not even going to name him after somebody in the family? What's going through your mind, Elizabeth? How can you do that? So they made signs to his father. Let him decide what we're going to call this child. Zacharias asked for a writing table and wrote saying, His name is John. And they all marveled. And his mouth was immediately opened 
and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God, and I'm sure he had a story to tell. He's been dumb and unable to speak for at least nine months, maybe 10 or 11, we don't know for sure. And now he can talk again. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing until Israel. Luke 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. I want to stop here and just ask a question. Why is that statement here? What does Syria have to do with what's going on? What difference does it make who's the governor of Syria? Who's the governor of Jordan? Why is that there? You ever thought about that? You know, it was used for hundreds of years by those who refute the validity of the Bible to say this means the Bible's not true and accurate because there was absolutely no record that Serenius ever was governor of Syria. You see, he only served for three years, but... You know, although this book is not a book of history and it's not a book of science, but if it's written in this book, you can believe it because it's true. And in my lifetime, in most of your lifetimes, I guess it's my lifetime, it's going to be in all your lifetimes, isn't it? They have, archaeologists have unearthed the evidence that Serenius was actually governor of Syria. Now, how is this important? Because he only served three years. That defines the time frame in which all these events are happening and gives us a reference point that is now archaeologically confirmed as to the date and time of these events. That's why it's important. Serves no other purpose but that. It all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Now that's a pretty ambitious decree that Caesar put out, wasn't it? The whole world's going to be taxed and everybody in the world's going to have to go back to their home city to be taxed. And of course he was also taking a census at the same time. But people the world and if you're of the house of David you've got to go to Bethlehem and that's true for all the other people wherever they're at 
So how many hundreds and thousands of people are gathering to taxes and be put on the census? We really don't know, but how many years has it been since David was born? I mean, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years. How many generations of people have come out of that? Thousands. Maybe tens of thousands. We don't know. Of course, it comes down to how many are still alive at this time, but it's going to be a very large number, and it's going to include all kinds of people. You're going to have priests there. You're going to have military officers there. You're going to have nobles and government officials. You're going to have rich people, poor people. You're going to have all kinds of people there. Because that's what Caesar's decided to do. Everyone's going to be taxed in their own city. Well, that includes Joseph, because he is the house of David. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, and to Judea, and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And you can see on the map there, this is not a walk in the park for Joseph and Mary. It's very rugged terrain. It's over a pretty great distance for a woman that's nine months pregnant riding a donkey. I'm sure they didn't make that journey very fast. And I'm sure it was a very difficult journey for Mary and, of course, for Joseph, too. But they did it because that's the kind of man Joseph was. He was going to obey the law, and the law said he had to do that. Something else I want to point out here. You know, I mentioned that Serenius was only governor of Syria for three years. You know that Caesar only used this form of tax collection and census gathering for three years. The whole history of the world. That's all it lasted. And this just shows all of us God can use whatever he needs to to accomplish his purpose. His prophets have been saying since the foundation of the world that the Son of God was going to be born, if you decipher it all down, in Bethlehem. You think Caesar Augustus was a godly man? I don't think so. I think he was kind of worshiping idols and doing all kinds of really bad things. He hadn't got to the point where he's sacrificing Christians because Christians don't exist yet. But he was not above executing innocent people if it served his purpose. He was a bad guy. And yet God used this man with the power that he had to put into effect the law that was going to require that Joseph and Mary travel to Jerusalem, travel to Bethlehem, at this time and she was going to give birth to the son of God 
where those prophets had said he was going to be born for hundreds and hundreds of years. Same thing's true with Serenius. God used him to narrow down the dates and to find the times so that we, looking back later, could see it and could understand it and could reference it and know that these things are true and that as Luke said, he has perfect understanding and he's writing these things down in order so that we have evidence to believe all of it. God's not hidden anything from us. It's all here. Verse 6, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Son of God is born right where the prophet said he would be. He's born in a stable. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a manger, a place where the donkeys and the horses are eaten because they didn't have any room in the inn. There was no room in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a relatively small town in comparison to large cities. And because of the decree that Caesar had issued, it's overflowing with people. There's no place to stay anywhere. This is the only place they could find. And the Son of God is born here in this place at this time. Because that's what the prophet said. God has brought about the events that would result in those prophecies coming true. And now Jesus is here, and he's in the manger, and this concludes part one. Please come back tonight, and we'll hear the rest of the story. It's very interesting. I hope you're here, and I hope you've enjoyed the story so far. Uh, I really haven't talked about obedience, but if you've been sufficiently taught and you desire to become a child of God, the water's here, it's ready. I haven't checked it today, but I think it's warm. Uh, so enjoy it. Come warm water. That would be a better baptism, wouldn't it be, Earl? It'd be warmer. Uh, Perhaps we can assist you in some other way. We stand here as your servants, not as your judge. And our desire is to help you any way we can. And we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Here's a blessed Savior, calling me a friend. Oh, yeah, he may have come to me and said,